Well, we all love day trips with other riders, whether it's from a hotel room or our own back door. Day trips can be full-on adventures, and having a few others along for the ride not only makes it safer for the obvious reason, but just makes the ride more fun in so many ways. I mean, you get to share it with someone, take breaks with someone, learn from another rider, but you've got the benefit also of having others to work together if the going gets tough. And if you don't ride with others, well, how could you possibly take Clinton Smout's advice of letting your friend go first? Today on our exclusive Rider Skills program, we've got some tips for riding with others, as well as what a motorcycle instructor slash guide packs for his day trips, which may get you thinking about what you pack for yours. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Sam Manicum, Simon, Simon Pavey, Bill Bergoon, Helga Fedos, Jocelyn Snow, Charlie Borman, Simon Thomas, Lisa Thomas, Grant Johnson, Graham Jarvis, Elspeth Smith, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Well, welcome to another Adventure Rider Radio Rider Skills program. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Now, today I'm joined by Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada, but Clinton is not at work per se. Here we are for another Rider Skills with Clinton Smout. Clinton, welcome back. Hi, Jim. You're on another adventure, aren't you? I mean, I know you I, are. <laughs> I have a charmed life. I'm so lucky to be out here. <laughs> and it's your old province in Canada, beautiful British Columbia. Yeah, that's amazing. So you're on the you're on the ADVX thing that we we talked about before, but you're going on it. And uh, what, what are you into? Like day two or three? Uh, we just finished the third day, but the second day riding. Ah, right. So the riding is really boring and, you know, uneventful. Horrible, and boring. Jim. You wouldn't like it at all. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> so uh, it's it's gorgeous, isn't it? I mean, so what are you riding anyway, as far as trails and things go? Describe it a little bit. Yeah. Well, from where we are, this particular tour is called a hub and spoke. It's a supported ride. So participants' bikes were shipped here from wherever in Canada they lived. So a few from Quebec, uh, lots from Ontario, BC, Manitoba, Saskatchewan. And then we've made our way to Sun Peaks Resort up in the mountains of beautiful BC. And then each day we venture out in two groups and uh, we go out different routes each day and then come back each night to Sun Peaks. Mm, wow. And, and what's the riding like? Phenomenal. 
There's lots of gravel, lots of good trails, and phenomenal twisty paved roads to get to those. Mm. So it's quite a mix. Right. A lot of elevation. I'm loving the hills because, as you know, a ski hill in Ontario where my little school is, that would be called a bump in <laughs> Western Canada. It's funny, though. You don't really think that when you're when you're used to seeing it all the time. Do you? It's only when you go out there and you see mountains and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, the, the, this really belittles our hills in, in Ontario. It does. And what's fantastic is in order to get up and over a mountain and down the other side, because it's so steep, engineers who built the roads and trails, they have zigzaggy routes, which are switchbacks. Mm -hmm. So there's tons of very, very steep uphills and then a sharp turn to kick you the other direction and then back. So kind of a Z pattern and that's so much fun in gravel to go around. The team who is running this event, it's a gentleman named Ryan Austin, and he's got a total of 12 people here. I was flabbergasted with the size of the support staff. So it's been incredibly slick and well-organized. Oh. Uh, like I have a name tag and there's uh, like a barcode on it. So they scan that. When I pick up my bagged lunch for the day, which means I'm out and I have to sign back in, which I keep forgetting to do, <laughs> when you come back in and we're all on a, the staff are on a WhatsApp program. So I'm getting these reminders. Uh, Clinton, are you back in? You didn't <laughs> sign back in. <laughs> so tomorrow I must remember that. So it's very, very organized. So when you're out riding during the day, uh, how, like, is the group all together all the time or is everybody splitting off and going on their own? Well, because it's such integral trails with lots of rights and lefts, um, GPS technology is fantastic, but there's so many different brands and styles. You need backcountry maps downloaded and a lot of people didn't have that. So the organizers thought it would be safer and more efficient to have a lead rider, a few participants, another staff member, a few more participants. I think there was five kind of support riders in my group yesterday and today and 15 participants. Mm -hmm. So a, an advanced team goes out and they put trail markers up big signs with arrows to indicate to the group which way to turn left and right. So we've got two systems, physical people who know the routes leading, but if you get separated, you just follow the signs. Oh, I see. Wow, that's really good. It does sound very organized. And and it's and it still has a, a flavor of adventure though, right? I mean, it doesn't feel like you're just following a bunch of people around. I no, mean, I know you're working. Yeah, yes, hard work. <clears throat> but uh, it, it's amazing how well, in any of these events, you've done them, there's a great camaraderie buildup. Today, there was some pretty technical stuff. And people were cheering each other on. Folks, if they felt too intimidated to go down these drop-offs or steep hills, there was willing and able staff members to take their bike down for them. But for the most part, everybody tried it. 
And because there's a lot of instructor types here, there'd be a very diplomatic and pleasant lesson delivery before the technical stuff. Mm. Hey, gather around folks. Let's chit chat about how do we go up a steep, rocky hill? You know, body position, cover the clutch, momentum. I added, of course, let your friend go first. <laughs> it's funny. We were just talking about that. We just recorded raw for uh, for September. I used you as an example, actually. You'll you'll have to hear that uh, of let your friend go first. But um, well, it's it's great because you and I had planned on talking about group riding. Uh, yes. Not there's not, not an organized group like what you're on necessarily, but riding with your buddies and and more informal group riding. So we plan to talk about this, and it's kind of interesting that you're out on a, on a group ride right now, enjoying yourself as much as it is supposed hard work. Yeah. So um, so group rides. Where 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 do we start with this? I mean, we, we I guess we could talk about some general precautions, but but what we're talking about here is you know when you go out with your buddy for um, for a day trip or you maybe join another group. And, and there's a distinct difference in, that, in between those two. And I wanted to point that out to begin with, is that if you go out with your buddy or a couple of buddies, you can always talk about things. And I'm sure you do. You talk about things before you go, hey, how are we going to do this? Or, or what are you going to do if you stop? Or maybe you know their style and you, you have a riding style that you, uh, you adhere to in the group where you know how to follow somebody, you know what sort of distance, and you know what's going to happen if somebody disappears, what the procedure is. But if you join a group you may not have that uh, ability to say how things are going to run. Somebody else is doing it and they're going to do it their way. So maybe if if we could, Clinton, if we could just start there, because I'm kind of curious how you would handle it. If you went to ride and you just sort of met up with people and they said, hey, you know, good to meet you. Why don't you come out and ride with your group? However it happens. You join the group to ride. What do you do? Do you do sort of lay down the law with them and say, well, this is Clinton's <laughs> way? Or, or no. how do you handle that? Yeah, I think there's some diplomacy involved, but there's got to be some chit-chat and communication at the beginning. That's, I think, paramount. Meet at a coffee shop, parking lot. Once everybody arrives, someone has to put their hand up and say, you know, should we talk about a couple of things about the ride? Like, is everybody comfortable going on the expressway or the freeway? Or do we want to ride back roads? And you kind of get a group consensus, right. but I think it's got to be very calm the way it's presented and ask questions because a lot of people won't put their hand up because they're intimidated. Yeah. So I think speeds should be discussed. Is everybody okay with the odd time, like 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, kilometers an hour? What a lot of people will do is speed enough that they're not getting demerit points so you know in our in our province it's 15 kilometers over the posted speed limit you start accumulating points that'll affect your license and insurance mm -hmm. and your wallet under that it uh, might be a very small ticket and most police officers are not looking for the person doing nine kilometers over the posted speed limit. What do you do? Uh, how do you, um, like, what if you went for a ride and you, and I've had this happen before, you don't like the riding style of the group and you want to back out. So do you sort of, do you sort of talk with them in, in advance about that or how do you do it? Yeah, I think um, somebody, whoever organized the group or the email that went out to everybody, someone's kind of leading 
And that's the person that should have a little bit of responsibility in getting information from the others. So I ask for input. Now, you ask 10 people, you might get 10 different opinions. But if nine of them say, nah, man, to keep the group together, we're going to run all the red lights. I don't want to be in that group. Yeah, yeah. Not my cup of tea. I think that's really important. If you're not comfortable with the pace or the attitude towards safety, then don't ride with that group. Find somebody else that's going to match more your interests. Very, very important. Right. And what, what do you do? Do you sort of grab a person at the back or something and say, hey, I'm, I'm cutting out? Like, you know what I mean? If you've started on the, on the run already and, and you want to leave? Yeah, I think if you can, uh, pull up beside them and give them cut the throat signal, I'm out. Some, right. Some kind of, of suggestion, um, because otherwise they might worry about you and come back looking for you. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. You've gone, has you gone off a corner? So it would be nice. Yeah. It's not really fair to do to somebody, um, to, to take off no. like that. That makes sense. Okay. But, so, so, um, or did you have more there? Uh, just that your own life preservation is paramount. That should mm. be first and foremost. You don't feel comfortable. Don't ride above your comfort level in speed or cornering pace or running through traffic signals just to keep up with the group. Yeah. They're strangers maybe even. You don't even know them. It, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that is very difficult though, isn't it? Like, as you mentioned about riding too fast to try and keep up, it's very easy to fall into that with a group. And, and it's, um, I guess it's just you, you have to work on, you know, yourself, your ego of, okay, I'm going to be the last person or, okay, I'm going to be, I'm just going to be behind rather than trying to push yourself to keep up. Yes. And a good group leader with some experience or training will appreciate the slingshot effect. So if you take off from the stop sign, I've got to go pretty fast to catch up to you if you leave before me. Mm -hmm. So then as a group, you start decelerating for the next stop sign or red light. I'm still doing fast, fast pace to catch up. So there's that bungee cord, whiplash, slingshot effect that can be very dangerous people if they don't look far enough down the road and adjust their yeah. speed. So if you're leading a group, you should probably start decelerating for a stop or a corner sooner than you would if you were riding by yourself. Because you appreciate what's happening behind you. It's like a slinky, if that's a better analogy. I'm thinking that um, some of the stuff you you would want to discuss before you go. Let's let's talk about that first. So Excellent. what would that be? Things like, like stops and, and go ahead. Yeah. First of all, maybe where's our destination? Mm -hmm. So if you do get a red light and you don't feel like running it just to keep up to people be kind of nice to know where the restaurant is that you're right. planning and going or hope you see them in the parking lot. So I'd kind of like to know the destination and the kind of road choices that the group is planning. Highway, gravel. What is the plan if the group gets separated? Are they hooked up on comms with their helmets? Do they have radios? 
or does the lead rider wisely pick a big safe parking lot to pull over that has the length of parking lot that he can get the number of riders off the road safely behind her or him. Mm -hmm. But it's still visible to the rider who got separated and they're trying to catch up. So you can't turn down a side street and go into a parking lot unless you're trying to hide from that person. (laughs) That would work. Okay, so that, that makes perfect sense. You, you, you want to know where you're going, um, you know, routes, I guess, things like that. But what, what other, th- I mean, some of the stuff that I'm thinking of that you like to talk about, and, and, and it can go um, sort of unsaid, I think, like I said, if you're riding with people you ride with all the time, but this, particularly if you're riding with someone new, um, what about things like um, how far are you going to go before you stop or what do you do at a turn, those type of things? Yeah, excellent ideas. Uh, so fuel range, if you're going on a day ride. All oh, right. Um, I think if you're thirsty, hungry, need the washroom, somebody else does. Mm -hmm. So there should be scheduled breaks. Uh, Riding for hours and hours and hours can get very monotonous. And the physical elements of wind, cold, rain, whatever it is, riders will really appreciate being able to pull over and stop. You're not doing an iron butt rally. You're just out for a ride with your buddies. Mm Mm-hmm. So definitely um, the group where maybe there's a lot of cigarette smokers. Every 20 minutes, I see the turn signal go on because they're pulling over again for another <laughs> smoko. I don't want to be with that group. Not my, not my cup of tea. I don't mind them smoking as long as they're not right beside me. But it seems like you just get into top gear. Oh, my God, the turn signal's on again. But... Uh, you know, are we going to ride staggered if if they're fairly new to riding with others? Should that be described and explained? Uh, I think staggered was really invented as you come into congested areas. So, sorry, so it, just Clinton, before you get it, let's 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 explain that fully. What that is, staggered. Some people may not be aware of what it is. Yeah. So you're talking about riding formation here while you're riding yes. along, right? So on our side of the globe where we ride on the right-hand side of the road, imagine there's only one lane going north. Conventional wisdom says the lead rider of the group of buddies should be in the left tire track. So it's basically your tires are where you would be sitting in your car. Right, the track closest to the center line. That's correct. And then the second rider is one second following distance behind the first and they're diagonally away from them in the right tire track. Then if there's a third rider, they're one second behind rider number two in the left tire track. So the math is number one and three are in alignment and they're two seconds apart but number one to two is only one second apart, but they're in a different tire track. So odd numbers end up on the left, and even numbers, if you had six, for instance, they're all on the right tire track. Right. And the idea is that you're not riding side by side, 
which it was fascinating today. The gentleman who was running this tour that I'm on, the Adventure X, his name is Ryan Austin, and he has a very long and distinguished police traffic officer career, motor cop. So one of the guys today at lunch said, why do you guys ride side by side? And what Ryan explained in policing, it's not an ego thing. It's actually safer for them approaching intersections. If you consider that one of the most common things around the world uh, that affects us negatively as a motorcyclist is the car that turns across our path. So the vehicle is coming towards us and in you know, Western parts of the world, they turn left in front of us because they may not see you. They're used to seeing the breadth of a vehicle like a car or truck and they're used to seeing two headlights spatially apart, not a single skinny headlight. <sighs> so their brain may not acknowledge a motorcycle because they're used to spatially looking for bigger vehicles. So police officers feel that it's safer that they ride side by side in traffic. That's interesting. Now, is that something that they just do as police officers, like between themselves, or is that something they're trained to do? They're trained. Oh. And, and it also looks pretty cool in processions. You know, you don't yeah. see a mo motorcade with a dignitary in the limo and the police officers are riding staggered. They're usually in pairs side by side. Right. Yeah, you'd have to be trained. I, I mean, I think you would have to train for that. And you have to know the other rider is also trained for that because that's one real problem with riding close to someone. Exactly. Now, I'm not a fan of it personally because if there's a big pothole, I would like the option to swerve right or left whatever, you know, feels good at the time based on traffic, etc. Mm -hmm. But if you're right beside me, Jim, now I've got to think, do I take Jim out or do I hit the pothole? Pothole right. or Jim? Well, rims are very expensive. <laughs> I thought you were going to say because it ruins the let your friend go first thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. I have two things I want to tell you about. We've got a lot more coming up. Stay with us. When we started this podcast over nine years ago now, one of the first people we had on the show was a fellow named Renee Cormier. Renee's story was incredibly interesting. He'd traveled the world on a budget of $25 a day. And even at that, he managed to run out of money halfway around the world. He ended up taking like five years to do the whole trip. He wrote a fantastic book about the journey called The University of Gravel Roads. And by the time he was done, you kind of think that he would have got the bug out of his system, you know, like time to settle down and get a real job again. But instead of having enough of motorcycle travel, the whole trip, it just fueled him even more. He could not let go of this thing. So he decided that what he really wanted most out of life was to show others what he found on the road, why it was so incredible traveling the world by motorcycle. 
He started a tour company. He called it Renadian Adventures. Now, I think this is a melding of his name, Rene, and the fact that he's Canadian, so it's Rene Dian. Rene, Canadian. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking anyway. Uh, I got to ask him about that. But so for the past 13 years now, Renadian Adventures has been showing riders these incredible routes and experiences traveling the world by motorcycle, riding to destinations like Africa, Mongolia, New Zealand, South America, Scotland, and Canada. And what's unique about Renadian Adventures is that it's driven by Rene, also his wife and, and a, a long-term group of dedicated guides and support people that, that are all passionate about their love of riding and showing that love of riding, showing what they love on the road to other people. And that's probably why Renadian has been so successful over the years. They run small groups, usually under 10 bikes. They use upscale boutique accommodations with sensible, well-thought-out itineraries. They put a lot into this. Now, they have full-time staff in South Africa, Canada, and the U.S. They run mainly BMWs, and Rene is still at the heart of it. In fact, he spends a good deal of his time on trips, guiding. Rene knows these areas intimately. He knows the, the itinerary intimately. As a matter of fact, he said that if you ask him what the bathroom situation is on the afternoon of the 11th day, he can tell you what that is actually like. I mean, that is, that is really knowing what you do. Rene is seriously passionate about what he does. The website is renadian.com. So just think of that melding of the name. Even if he tells me that's not what it is, I'm sticking with this anyway, because I think it's a good way to remember his name. Renadian, Rene, and Canadian. It has to be that. It has to be. Renadian.com. Anyway, anytime you're dealing with him, throw in that you heard him uh, on Adventure Rider Radio. Renadian.com. Sometimes it's just great fun to eat up the miles. And, and you've had them, you know, that feeling, the wind, the sun, the heat on you, just an incredible feeling of being on your bike, cruising at, you know, one steady speed, probably on a, on a straight stretch of road, incredible feeling. But after a while of riding like that, holding that throttle hand in one position, the wrist bent at just the exact angle, your forearm flex and stiff, even up to the bicep, and it could even go up into your shoulder, it creates fatigue. It's unnecessary fatigue, and I say unnecessary because there is a solution. The solution is the Atlas Throttle Lock. The Atlas Throttle Lock was invented by round-the-worlders Heidi and David Winters after needing a throttle lock due to a broken wrist and being unable to find anything that satisfied David the rider. But when you look at the Atlas Throttle Lock, you're probably going to think more of engineering or Swiss watch type quality before you think of a couple riding two up around the world on a KTM. The Atlas throttle lock is the real deal. I mean, it's ultra thin, finely crafted, clamps onto your bikes in a, your bike in a few minutes and swaps out from one bike to another easily. But the way it works, the way it works, that's what impresses me the most. It has two buttons on it, one for engage, one for disengage. Those buttons have a tactile feedback that tell you what you're doing without having to look at them. There's no need to glimpse down. Your thumb and those incredible buttons tell all. When it's engaged, it holds your throttle in one position. No slipping down like others I've tried when you go over bumps or have a rattly spot on the road. Yet at the same time, you can just adjust the throttle by twisting it and it holds the new position. It just stays there. You see what I mean about well-designed? AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. This will change the way you ride. AtlasThrottleLock.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. But, but okay, so so um, you could ride staggered. Um, what about in line? Because we, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, and in line, we did a lot of it today. Staggered works great on paved roads, 
and sometimes gravel roads if you're coming into a congested traffic area because it keeps the group together. If you're spread out in line, especially on a Toronto highway, if we're riding along two seconds following distance between us, Jim, one or two small cars are going to cut into that space. Oh, yeah. We're staggered. You're a little closer together, and that may avoid that. Right. But so in line is negative in that sense. But where I've always recommended people not ride staggered is really twisty roads. Uh, today, we are on tons of them in the mountains, both gravel and paved. And on those twisty roads, let's say you're in the staggered position where you're close to the ditch, not the center lane. I am not going to go around a corner to the left when I'm on the very right-hand side of my lane. Because if anything goes wrong, I'm into the trees or the ditch or off the cliff. Mm. I want to be on the left tire track sometimes approaching a corner. But I want that flexibility of choice when it's twisty. Maybe I want to apex the corner, go in wide, cut across the curve, so I get to kind of the center or the apex. And then as I accelerate, my motorcycle stands up and goes back to the outside. But I want that choice. If I'm riding staggered, I can't do that because I'm cutting off someone's lane mm -hmm. that might be going a different speed to me. So I've always thought in twisty situations, nice curves, don't stagger. You back off from the person you're beside, so you get two or three seconds behind them, and you pick and choose your lane decision. Now, since we're talking about staggered or riding in line, I think it only makes sense to go into talking about following distance, in particular when you get onto gravel roads or trails or things like that. And of course, you've been probably dealing with this with dust. So can we, yes. can we cover that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think whenever we get off pavement into gravel, people have to anticipate, which is a word we use in instructor training a lot. There's reactive riders and there's riders who survive a lot longer who anticipate what could be ahead of us. So gravel is less likely to be the same, like a paved road for miles and miles is pretty similar. There might be some cracks in the pavement or potholes, but the road surface is pretty uniform. Gravel is affected far more by environmental changes, rain, grade, wind, uh, different road surfaces, mud, sand, gravel, big rocks, no rocks. Mm -hmm. There's so much variety. So, um, we say following distance in gravel should be double what you're doing on the pavement, even if it's not dusty. One of the reasons is if you have to do emergency stop, uh, one of our riders today in the second group came back and he was a little white faced and a little shaken up. He goes, Clinton, my God, I almost hit a deer half an hour ago. A big buck crossed the road right in front of his bike. Wow. And he, he said he got on the brakes really hard. 
and he did slow down dramatically, didn't hit the deer. But if the rider behind him maybe wasn't paying as astute attention and was following closely as they would have been maybe on the pavement, who knows if they could have got on the brakes as efficiently as Aldo did, may have maybe ran into him or had to veer around him to miss him, causing an accident. So in gravel, we need far more braking distance than we do on dry pavement. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I'm glad that you you just told that story because uh, I'm thinking that um, what are you? how do you handle it when someone is following too closely when you're riding in the dirt? What most safety instructors say, if you're being followed too close on pavement, that person obviously is impatient. They want the space in front of you, don't they? So one thing you should never do, let's say you're in the left tire track, which is thought of as the blocking position. People are less likely to pass you on your throttle side of your motorcycle, on the right side. Right, on the curb side, yeah. Yeah, but if you look in your mirror and you see, you know, one of those little dogs on the hood of a truck, you might think, oh my God, I got to get out of the way. And you pull over to the side of your lane where bicycles ride. That's almost an invitation to be passed within your own lane, Mm -hmm. especially in many parts of the world. That's a courtesy that a driver will do in front of you that maybe they see you on your motorcycle behind them. They'll pull over to the edge of their lane and allow you to pass beside them. Not as prevalent in North America, where we seem to be very lane possessive. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> but um, if someone's following you too close, I don't recommend you move over to the right to let them pass on your left. That's your lane. So what I do with a brake light, I gradually slow down a little. I don't jam on the brakes, but if I gradually slow down, what happens to the space in front of me? Yeah, you gain more space. Gets a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, the person that's impatient, they want that space really badly now. And at the first opportunity, they're going to pass you and good riddance to them. Yeah. Yeah, you're safer away from that. What what about on dirt? And what if it's one of your own group? Because this happens. You go for a ride with people like we were talking about here. You know, you're out for three, four people. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. But you have somebody who's really riding your tail. You, 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 do you I, stop and talk I, with them? Well, I'll put my left clutch hand out. We discuss signals with groups that we ride with, you know, the off-road course or buddies, whatever. If I take my left hand as if I'm patting the dog, move it up and down, that means slow down danger. Then as I get really slow, I'll motion the person up beside me and either let them pass or I'll yell to them, back off, stop following so close. Um, Or if there's an opportunity to pull over and say, are you enjoying the ride? I'm afraid I'm stressing out a bit because you're breathing down my neck. Mm. Back off a little. And I think you're completely within your rights to mention stuff like that if it's bothering you because that's distracting your attention away from 
what you should be focusing is what's in front of you, not the chucklehead behind you. Yeah, and you really should, shouldn't you? I mean, I mean, for safety reasons, because otherwise you end up jumping on the brakes. For, I'm thinking this deer, and then all of a sudden somebody's into the back of you, and you're thinking, I wish I had said something to them earlier to, to get them off my tail. Yes. Yeah, um, I'm way more outspoken after witnessing lots of crashes and things that maybe I should have said something, and right. now I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so let's talk about signs and signals. You started to a little bit there. You're saying about patting the dog. Yeah. When you when you go ride with a few friends, do you sort of, before you go, say, okay, these are these are my signs. Are you guys into this? Yeah. <laughs> What's your sign? And I think they should be. I'm a Gemini that enjoys <laughs> long rides in right. the forest, Gem. <laughs> but that's it. Um, there's all kinds of them. Like people, pub, some clubs publish, you know, pages of hand signals and things other clubs or groups of buddies they just have a few so turn signals obviously but a common one is you'll pull up beside the person and you with your clutch hand move your fingers and thumb together kind of symbolizing uh, someone talking or a dog barking that means your turn signal's been on for the last four miles. <laughs> that's that's a, a good one. That's one you see a lot. <laughs> and that's it's very dangerous because traffic coming towards you doesn't know what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Traffic behind you, and they may make a change across your path based on that turn signal you forgot to turn off. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one that groups can, uh, m- group members can share with other members. You may even see it in your mirror and just do that yapping dog sign with your left hand and hopefully they'll figure it out. Right. So what, what other signs and signals do you use? Uh, well, off-road, because we don't have turn signals on a lot of our bikes, we use our arms. And I wear light-covered gloves a lot yellow on the street today so when i put my electric turn signal on if it's dusty i'll throw my hand up as well it's a little extra it may not be as bright as just a turn signal but it does show a double intention of what i'm going to do mm-hmm. as long as it's not too hard of a traction area because i shouldn't be riding with one arm right on the bar So that kind of hand signals, but slow down danger. I will indicate if I know the trailer, I'm up front and I can see there's a steep hill coming ahead. Again, with the left hand, I'll point uh, up and down with my arm to illustrate we're coming to an uphill. And vice versa, for downhill, I'll point my hand repeatedly down kind of slicing the air with the arm Mm -hmm. just so people kind of get an idea what's coming up ahead. Cause if I'm leading, I get to see it first. Right. And what about when you spot like a hole or something like that? Do you, what do you point at that? A lot of people will take a boot off the peg sitting or standing to indicate debris that they're approaching. And that's really helpful. Because people behind, especially if they're riding in the dust, which I can't stand doing, but um, that will help alert following riders of some kind of problem that's coming up. 
uh, we had a lot of cows on the road today. It's this part of British Columbia is a lot of free range cattle Mm -hmm. and they're wild. Uh, Nobody's milking these cows every night. They're just out there until the snow comes and no fencing. So they're on the road. And then to keep them in a certain area, the ranchers will put the cattle crossings. They're just open bars so the cows won't cross it because their feet will fall through. Of course, cars and bikes, you just roll over those gaps. Mm-hmm. But um, we had to be very cautious with them. When they're on the side of the road, I gave the slow down signal. And that meant let's drop our speeds down. So if a car, a cow does dart out in front of us, you've got an opportunity to stop or swerve. And your slowdown signals is the padding, the slow padding of the dog. And it's, it's yes. just what you picture. I think what, what most people would picture, but it's important, I think, to work those out in advance, at least a couple of them, you know, that so that people understand what you're doing, because lifting the boot off of the, the foot peg, I, I haven't heard that before. And, and I don't think I would yeah. have got that at all, that there was a, there was debris. Right. That's what they do. Pointing also helps. Mm-hmm. And then there can be, Um, A lot of people use communicators now, and it was interesting. One of the sponsors of this event, uh, Importation Thibault, it's a Quebec company, they provided a pretty fancy communication device to each of the members. And uh, there was a few left over, and they were kind enough to give me one. So I've got to read the instructions, Jim, and figure out how to set it up. I'm going to do that tonight. What do you mean? You didn't have it but, on already? You've already been riding. Yeah, that was the, the whole day, but I didn't have a chance. I was fixing a tire and uh, doing a few other things on bikes. That's more important than me. <laughs> Plus, I've never been a fan of talking to other people as I'm riding. I know you don't like that, yeah. <laughs> like this system, I'm going to try it because I can appreciate the value maybe between a lead and sweep instructor you could let them know, hey, you know what? This person's just pulled over. They forgot to do their helmet up or something like that. And you can just let the lead rider know uh, this particular system goes about 1.6 kilometers, but it'll leapfrog. If there's a few people with them, it could go as far as eight kilometers. Mm -hmm. So the signal will work. So I'm interested to try it. Despite the fact that I, I have a lot of voices in my head already, so I don't need any. So you'll never know which one's talking to you. Yeah, I'll have <laughs> the, to figure the thing it out. that I've always found is, especially out west, because there's so many hills, etc., that it cuts out pretty quick if you just yes. got a couple of people. I know it can it can transmit from one rider to the next when you have them all set up. That takes a little bit of organization at the start, but otherwise I've found it sort of limited like it because you disappear rather quickly, but they are quite handy. I mean, you know, it's, it's nice. You don't have to worry about hand signals or anything. You just talk over the comms. So, um, certainly a, a nice thing. By the way, I want to jump back. You, you mentioned about the, seeing the cattle. One thing to keep in mind is when you're looking at wildlife or the deer on the road, side of the road, you often see people go by a deer that's on the side of the road. It's facing them and they don't slow down animals in in my experience generally go in the direction they're facing 
not always. Sometimes they'll spin around, but but usually, they went, so if they bolt, they're going to bolt in the direction they're facing. So I think any animal that's facing you on the road, you, you want to be extra careful because at any second they can bolt and it's liable to Absolutely. be right out in front of you. And they're a flight animal. They're not a, a charge you animal. Horses, mm-hmm. deer, they survived by getting away really quickly from something that might jump on their back, mountain lion whatever so they're very very unpredictable and from my experience although some municipalities go to great lengths jim they set up deer crossing areas i have never seen a deer use one of them yet yeah you know the, they have those signs i know and the deer just don't seem to pay attention to them at all it's no. very strange it's very, very disrespectful <laughs> Hey, Clinton, how do you handle riding in dust? Now, yeah, you've, you've been doing this a little bit. I mean, I know you've done it your whole life. So how do you handle riding with dust with a, a couple of buddies? I can't do it. We discussed it at the end of the day. Because uh, BMW is a, a German company, as soon as you finished one of these events, you park your bike, the day's ride's over, there's coolers with beer. So... I complained that they didn't have any root beer. So one of the executives, I just did it jokingly because I'm fine with water. I don't know if I told you I'm allergic to alcohol. Yeah. So this guy ran out in his car and found a store and brought back eight root beer for me. Wow. It was pretty nice. Yeah. So over our beers, we were discussing how dusty it was. And one guy actually said, you know what? There was a time I was so close to the guy, I did, couldn't see the road. And I'm going, that's insane. What if there'd been all those big rocks, a cow patty, potholes? You can't see that. You can't react in time with the visibility that's left in dust. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, I can't ride in dust. I'll back off. To the extreme of um, René Cormier's tour in South Africa, I was lucky enough to go there quite a few years ago, but he took us through Namibia where it hadn't rained for four years. Can you imagine the dust? Wow. It was over a mile that I was giving in separation between the rider in front of us. There was nine bikes, 14 people, and I was the sweep rider. I seem to have developed that habit. I'm at the back all the time, Jim. I'm not sure how that's evolved. (laughs) I think you like that. (laughs) I do. But I can't follow in somebody's dust. So I was a mile behind, and that gave the little bit of wind and time for the dust to settle down. Mm-hmm. And to me, there's a few positives. One, I'm not getting it in my eyes. More importantly, lungs. Because I'm sure if you look at it microscopically, dust is little pieces of aggregate, isn't it? It's silk, yeah. it's rock. I don't think our lungs process that. So maybe it's building up. And our bikes certainly don't. No, and it's horrible on your bike. So on the last Yukon trip we did, uh, one fella has a a KLR 650, and it was a mature KLR with a lot of experience. And this guy, Clayton, he says to me, "Uh, Clinton, 
have you got any tips of how I could tune up my bike? Because it's hardly even pulling me up the hills anymore. And I'm thinking, you've been riding the dust behind those other guys all week. So I took the air filter out. It was an aftermarket one. And I banged it on my aluminum side case. And about three teaspoons of dust and dirt came out. (laughs) So then I poured a bottle of water on it. And I held it in front of my exhaust pipe and just lit the throttle up Ah, in neutral. That's good. It was like a hairdryer. It was awesome. (laughs) Put it back in and then off he went. He was in the fast group. And at dinner, he came up and said, I got to buy you a root beer, Clinton, because that bike has never gone so fast. (laughs) (laughs) So dust is horrible for our motorcycle. If you let your air cleaner get so clogged, but you're still pulling on the throttle, you're dragging the dirt into your fuel system, carburetor or fuel injection. That's getting inside the engine and microscopic dirt wears out piston rings, cylinder walls. So you're really affecting the lifespan of your engine and probably your own lungs. You didn't talk about the, the the safety or the danger aspect. Oh, the vision. You mm-hmm. can't see what's in front of you. Yeah. Like some people like to ride really close to someone else because there's the, the, the dust hasn't quite risen up, you know, because there's that, when somebody runs through somewhere, there's a bit of dust comes up, but it seems to continue to float up after they've gone. So there's like a, a distance you ride away from somebody where you'll get the most dust and then and then you back off to like what you're talking yeah. about where the dust starts to settle again. Do you ever condone riding up close? I mean, no. I, I don't think you do. I, yeah, heard, I heard that flimsy excuse today as well. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. Another guy said, no, no, I ride right on his back tire just off a couple of feet off because then I'm not getting the That's dust. crazy. You're gambling. If anything goes wrong, that person can't change lanes abruptly to avoid an obstacle or an animal because you're right there. Mm-hmm. So I'm afraid if you're right behind me like that, <laughs> in motocross, we used to brake check. You would slide over, jam on the brakes and take the line of the other person. And then they have to slow down dramatically and you continue faster than them. I think I'd be tempted to do, I wouldn't do that, but I'd be thinking about it. Mm. I hate people following me too close and I can't ride in dust. Any other, um, any other things to go along with, uh, with riding with a couple of buddies? Yeah, I think we talked about the hand signals. If they're, they're your buddies, you probably got their cell phone and you've number and you've got a cell phone so if you get separated some way of communicating is really handy Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of cell phones these days pre-cell phones these two instructor friends of mine they met teaching got married hey let's go to deals gap you've heard of that mecca twisty road in tennessee they're from canada this couple so off they go He's on a VFR 800, pretty good fuel range, big tank. Catherine was on an RZ or RZ in the States, 350, two-stroke, not very good on fuel. So George is leading and doesn't realize 
Catherine's beeping the horn because she's on reserve. So she gets off the interstate, fills up with fuel. George finally realizes he's been riding with himself and he's freaking out. Where's my new wife? So he cuts across the grass, goes north on the interstate. As she's coming on the on-ramp, they miss each other. (laughs) So three days, two nights on their honeymoon, they're in separate hotels because they can't find each other. (laughs) This is is pre-cell phone, right? It is. Yeah. Finally, Catherine, the smarter of the two, has the idea, you know what? I'm going to phone back home and leave a message of where I'm at. And hopefully George will think of doing the same, which he did. They were in the same motel. He was at the front. She was in the back. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So some means of communicating with the people you're with is advised. That's funny. That's funny. That, of course, the days before cell phone, eh? Yes. Which was a completely different world. Wow. Exactly. Okay. Um, have, we, have we covered everything here? Now, what else did I have? Uh, ideas of where you're going to stop for food. You know, maybe you don't like Mexican food. I love it. But if um, a little bit of chit-chat about where you're going to go, what you're going to do, I think will make the ride way more enjoyable Mm -hmm. and safe. Definitely. So it's definitely worth sitting down and just spending those few minutes, whether you know the people or not, and just ironing out a couple of things and figuring out what's happening and what you're going to do for stops and what your speed's going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Another safety thing, Jim, I thought of is um, if one of your buddies or riding friends is newer to the sport, they will tend to put their hand up and say, uh, I'll ride at the back. Why did they say that, Jim? Because they don't want the stress of being up the front and the stress of everyone behind them and, and them having yes. to keep the speed up. And But what happens is big gaps will open up or the new rider will be st- almost forced to ride at the pace of the experienced rider. So what we've always recommended, and I'll be doing it quite a bit this fall, we've got some young instructors getting their motorcycle licenses for the street. They've been teaching dirt bike for quite a few years. And I've got permission from their parents that, would you mind if I mentored them and took them out on the street just so I feel safer about them riding a bike to work? And the parents are very happy about that. Mm-hmm. I will put them behind me or another experienced rider and I'll ride at the back. But I don't want them always at the back and a really experienced rider leading them or a whole bunch of them because the pace is that they should both be going are different. Mm -hmm. So we put the inexperienced people behind the lead rider and that seems to be safer for everybody. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, okay. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what every rider should be carrying on, on day trips for adventure motorcycling. So stay with us. Perfect.
Innovate, that's H-E-X, Innovate, are the makers of the GS911 Code Reader and the EasyCan Accessory Manager. These are two game-changing devices that helps us deal with modern motorcycles. First, the GS911. The GS911 is a code reader for BMW motorcycles that allows you to see into your motorcycle in ways that the only the dealer could have before. So that fear of riding a high-tech computerized bike off the beaten path becomes diminished because you have the GS911 in your pocket. It's that small. It lets you read the fault codes. It lets you pinpoint and fix a problem and get back in the saddle again. The other one I mentioned is the EasyCan Accessory Manager. And what the EasyCan does is, well, it, it just makes it dead simple to connect accessories to your bike. But not only simple, but there's so many other things that go along with this. It uses the bike's factory controls to work the accessories. So there's, there's no tapping into wires. There's no cutting the wiring harness. You hook this thing up to the battery, then you plug it in, and you can use your bike's controls in a bunch of different ways to work things like your lights or heated grips or whatever. And then when you turn your ignition off, your battery is saved because you haven't wired up something wrong that's going to drain your battery. This thing takes care of that. It also takes care of overloads. It'll shut down a circuit if there's an overload. It's an incredibly simple but incredibly complicated inside device that makes hooking accessories up super simple and safe. And that's why manufacturers like it, because people don't mess up their bikes when they use the EasyCan Accessory Manager. If you have a modern bike and you're planning on installing any accessories, lights, heated grips, no matter, then the EasyCan Accessory Manager is for you from Hex. Hexinnovate.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Hex innovate.com. That's H-E-X innovate.com. If you're serious about riding, serious about getting the most from your bike, then you'll want to be replacing those stock pegs with a set of IMS products, foot pegs. Larger, properly designed and manufactured foot pegs will give you the added leverage to help control the extra weight of an adventure bike and helps especially when you add some luggage on or other gear that you're taking. They'll give you better traction between your foot and the peg itself. And that instills confidence. The more you ride with them, the more you realize just how much you can count on them. And then you learn to really lean into them. It's game changing. Your buddies will probably wonder how you became so skilled so quickly without them knowing or seeing you do anything. It can make that much of a change. Seriously, I know it because it happened to me when I began using IMS products foot pegs. The moment I stood up on them, I knew they were much more than just a foot peg. IMS Products has designed a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs from the large ADV-1 and ADV-2 on down to the core series. No matter your riding style, they have a peg that will suit your style. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. All right, welcome back, Clinton. Now let's talk about what every rider should be carrying on day trips for adventure motorcycling. So, I mean, you're doing this stuff all the time. You must have your kit down pat. Not only do I want to find out what you're carrying and what we should be carrying, but I also want to talk about where we should be carrying it and how you're carrying it. Uh, everyone has different ideas of, of the places they put things on motorcycles. And if you don't have a bunch of bags or packs on your bikes, if you're only going for a day trip, it certainly limits the space that you have. So exactly. shall we tackle the rider first? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so what what do we take as a rider? What what sort of things should we be taking with our with ourselves on the day trip? Uh, some kind of communication, depending on where you are, where you're riding, cell phone or satellite. 
Uh, for instance, up in the mountains here, you probably remember, Jim, a cell phone, fantastic for taking pictures, but pretty useless for trying to contact anybody. Mm-hmm. There's been virtually no um, cell signal when we're down in the valleys. So some kind of way of getting help or communicating back to family or base camp is essential. So I I have an in-reach with me mm-hmm. and my cell phone. And the more modern satellite systems, you can link to your iPhone or whatever kind of phone you have. So it's much, much easier to text through your phone when it's linked to the satellite phone. Yeah, the Bluetooth connection, that that is ideal. It really works well. The inReach makes a mini that you can get that really depends on your cell phone being there yeah. to, to type messages back and forth. And there's another one called Zolio that is very good. And Zolio uses uh, both satellite and cell, depending on, like if, it, if you have cell service, it'll use cell to save the satellite and then use satellite at other times. But it's the same sort of thing. It's a little box that you carry with you. It connects to your cell phone. There are some buttons on the box that you press, but on your cell phone, you have the app and you, and you type away. And it's just like texting. It's the same sort of thing. Excellent. And so the technology is getting better and better with that. Now, a lot of people don't, I talked to some people on this trip, they said, nah, you know, I looked at them, they're $49 a month. Uh, But a lot of the plans you can have dormant when you're not using them and activate it for the time you are out on tour. Yeah, You, You can also rent them readily in many cities for the time of your tour. But, you know, even $49 a month, really, if it saves you or somebody else being stuck overnight or injured for a more prolonged time, that's peanuts. It's yeah. cheap. And and you think about it, if something goes wrong, you know, if, if anyone thinks to puts themselves in that situation where something goes wrong, you're in the back country, there's no communications, you're only out for a day trip, and now all of a sudden it looks like you're going to have to spend the night, you would pay somebody double that, you know, to rescue you and get you out of that situation. So money well spent, really. Um, and that Absolutely. one that I mentioned, the Zolio, again, not doing a sales pitch for them because it does, yes. I don't get anything from it, but they have that as well with the, you know, you can pay for it while you're using it. So if you're in a, in a in an area where you're riding during the summertime, and you're not riding in the winter, you know, you can shut it off for the wintertime. And that's, that's really handy. I, I think it's, it's kind of like you could look at it like insurance, couldn't you? Absolutely. It's, it's a good and idea. Yeah. It's an expense we all hope we never need, but it's there when yeah. you need it. Yeah, exactly. I know one guy that I bet you he has a satellite phone now. He got into adventure riding. This was four five years ago. British Columbia fellow. I met him at the Vancouver Motorcycle Show. And he told me this horrific story. He was just getting back into riding. He decided to ride solo down some lumber roads and then went down towards the river and had a bad crash, a mm. broken femur with a GSA on top of him. Oh, wow. That's a lot of motorcycle to have on top. Three days he was trapped there, Jim, no cell signal until some hikers luckily came and the harrowing tale involved him, you know, beeping the horn at night to keep bears away. Um, He ran out of food. He did have a bottle of water in his tank bag, but that was long gone. 
So he was malnourished, dehydrated, and in shock by the time these two hikers, who were very experienced mountain adventure people, and had satellite with them, but they saved his life, wow. really, because he, he another few days and he probably would have succumbed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's the, horrible. That would be very scary. And the thing is, in BC, like where you're riding right now, there's a lot of roads where you, if you go off the road, no one's going to see you. No one's going to find you. The vegetation will part as you slide through it and it will yeah. just close back up again. And you might be down 75 feet, 100 feet, 200 feet or more. And no one's going to see it. No one will ever know you went off the road. That's right. I was thinking of that. I saw some turkey vultures and there's part of my brain. There's two voices in my head, Jim. I don't know if it's the devil and another guy, but one <laughs> voice said, okay, there's nobody in front of us. Let's wind this bike up a little bit and have fun. The other voice is saying, do you remember seeing those turkey vultures? <laughs> That's the only way they're going to find you, stupid. Don't go fast. <laughs> they would be circling over my corpse. Yes, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I completely agree. But you can bet, you know, that guy did save $49 a month five years ago, or maybe it was a bit cheaper, but... Yeah. He would have paid it, wouldn't he? He would have been happy oh, to pay any amount. My goodness. So especially riding solo I, or in a group, somebody's got to have a way to get communication. Yeah. Good. And, and let me just throw in there. I know I'm sort of, you know, really going on in this point, but with a satellite com, it's not a, a automatic guaranteed free ticket. You do need a view of the sky. And, um, yes. you know, so you just have to keep that in mind that you can't just go crazy out there and, and, you know, be silly because you've got the satellite communicator. You need that clear view of the sky, which may not always be uh, available. By the way, where do you keep your, your in-reach? Mine's in my left vest pocket. So I've got my BMW jacket and I wear a bright orange helmet and a bright orange kind of fluorescent vest. I look like a big pylon. But somebody said to me today, I don't think it was complimentary, Jim. They say, wow, you're, uh, you're pretty bright. <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, when you're not very bright, you should at least look it. But, right. You're just trying to make up for it. Okay. Yes. So, so comms, we, we got that. Comms, what else? Yes. Um, I think if, if you're going with a few people, if you have any medical issues, some people are shy about saying it, but I think it's important you let them know. So first day of the ride or with the group, I'll say, hey, just so you know, folks, I've had a heart attack. I carry this little red bottle of nitroglycerin in my right hand top pocket of my coat. So it's easily accessible just in case, you know, my last name is Spout. But if you see me flopping around on the ground like a trout, Give me a couple squirts of that spray and nitroglycerin will help me get better. But, you know, if you are allergic to anything, if uh, let us know. You don't have to tell the whole group, but maybe tell the group leader that you have an EpiPen in your tank bag. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're diabetic, it'd be handy for a leader to know that or maybe somebody in the group that's got some first aid so they'll know the correct thing to give you sugar etc 
if you have an attack. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's very, very important to let people know so they can help you get medication that you're carrying with you or or get help and be able to tell them what's going on. So I think sharing a little bit of medical background or information is important. Okay. And then for yourself, the other part about you is what is your own fitness and experience for kind of the distance you're planning, uh, maybe the degree of difficulty of this trail that you envision it will be, maybe more experienced people that have done this route before, if it's adventure riding, they can share that with you. Because a little bit of planning ahead uh, is very helpful. For instance, on this tour that I'm on, there's vast levels of experience difference. So we did 627 kilometers yesterday to get to Sun Peaks Resort. Quite a bit of it, maybe 250K was gravel, a little bit of trail. That was incredibly fatiguing for someone that had never done off-road riding. Because you don't want to push yourself too far in adventure riding. And I thought that was really good customer service, Mm -hmm. just in case it was needed. Let me get you to walk through this exercise. You're getting ready to go for a day trip, okay? What is in your pockets? Let's just talk about what's in your pockets on your jacket that that, that you're going to wear. What's in your pockets? Uh, Wallet, for sure. I don't like it in, I like in my jeans I have on now, my wallet's in my right back pocket. So I'm sitting on it. But I don't want it there when I'm sitting on a motorcycle. So it's in a zippered waterproof pocket of my BMW jacket. The nitroglycerin cell phone, my in-reach mini is in my left vest pocket. Uh, I've got a really nice knife with a lockable blade. I have a knife that I carry in my tools, but now this one's a pocket knife. I think that's all. Oh, I have two pairs of glasses. Okay, two pair of glasses. And okay, so that's everything in your pockets. That's everything. Okay. So what do you have in, in any sort of day bag or anything that you're taking? So what's the, all the other stuff that you're taking with you on the day trip? Water, for sure. Mm-hmm. And some kind of snacks. If, you know, I'm going out for a day, I don't need a full course meal, but some right. energy bars, um, some peanuts, some raisins, something that's got a little kick to it. Mm-hmm. And that really helps would I stop to have a break? Okay. So water, snacks, so carry that stuff. I've got some tools because um, I'm adventure riding. So I can fix my own bike or somebody else's. Any kind of tire issue I can handle with what I carry in it. So I've got okay, tire, Okay, so wait, wait on, the, on the tools. Don't, don't get in the oh, toolkit just now. we're going to talk about that later. So no, okay. I, I'll just say, let's leave it as tools right now and we'll go back to that and then we'll get a little more detail. Okay. But what other sort of things? So you've got your toolkit, what else? Uh, we talked about cell and satellite. I've got some rain gear, but that's in that bag uh, in addition to the tools. And I have a tow rope. Or we'll get into all that, what's in my tool bag specifically, but 
I take stuff that I might need to fix my bike or get me or somebody else out. Okay, so you're not you're not taking a whole ton of things. You've got water, snacks. You've got your satellite, uh, your cell phone, of course, all your personal things. Um, you've got a, a knife in your pocket, and you've got a toolkit that I, I know is going to be key here: the rain gear and and tow rope. Is there, is there anything else that you can think of that you would that you take on your on any other day trip that you take any day trip? Yeah, I used to carry a big camera and a tank bag, but cell phone cameras are incredible now. Oh, aren't they? It, so I don't, I haven't picked up, a, I've got some pretty nice cameras because I used to be a photographer, but the cell phone is so quick. Just whip it out of your pocket and away you go. Okay. Well, well, let's talk about that toolkit now. Exactly what do you have in your toolkit? So I have the tools that are universal for any kind of bike because I'm out with friends. Mm-hmm. I have a metric adjustable. They're hard to find. <laughs> Wrenches that will allow me to tighten or adjust a chain, take a wheel off. I've got a a small screwdriver with multiple heads, you know, those kind that stick in the end magnetically. So I don't want six screwdrivers. I don't have room. Then I carry three kinds of tape, black electrical tape, a big roll of good, strong, three-inch wide tape. This particular brand is Gorilla because it rips easy, but it's very strong. I also have a small roll of its rad hose repair tape. So, and it will seal small cracks and cuts or holes in a rad hose. That's really handy. But the two smaller rolls of tape fit inside the bigger one. Oh, right. Okay. That's important. Okay. I carry four big, heavy tire irons. And I used to have uh, an old, old BMW came with an, a pretty extensive tool kit. And the tire irons are about six inches long. Fantastic on a bicycle. But if you've got a big adventure bike tire, they're pretty well useless. They're a bit better than your fingers, but... I have them. They've got to be 12 inches long. These Michelin tire irons. I'll show you them, Jim. And they're mm-hmm. fantastic. I carry a bottle of tire lube that helps me take off and install tires without a tire machine. Because I'm on my knees on the side of a trail or road usually doing tires. What, what kind of tire lube is it? It's called Nomar. N-O in a space, M-A-R. It's phenomenal because it's very, very slippery, like a Vaseline consistency, but it evaporates quite quickly. Four or five minutes after applying it, the tire's completely dry again. Uh, nice. Okay. So you can't, you can't take too long installing the tires, telling a story or something. Because now it's dry rubber against the rim. You're back to square one again. Okay, what else? Then I have a small kit that allows me to patch a tube. There's a valve stem remover tool. And then I have a plug kit, which I've used many times on tours. Uh, In Colorado, a couple years ago, a lady picked up a piece of barbed wire. So she had an extremely slow 
leak and I couldn't find it. So I took the wheel off and I cleaned it thoroughly first. I want to ex- be clear on that, Jim. It was very clean, the wheel. Then I filled the bathtub in my motel room <laughs> and I found the tiny bubbles from this hunk of wire. Are you having so a bath I, at the same time, Clinton? No, I, oh. I did that after I cleaned oh, the tub. I see. <laughs> but I plugged it. Uh, I could not find it. I sprayed that tire with water when it was on the bike and I couldn't find it. So frustrated, I thought I've got to immerse it in something. And the motel bathtub worked perfectly. And I was able to plug it. So I carry plugs, you know, the kind where you punch it through the hole you've reamed out. Mm -hmm. And it leaves the rabbit ears of the plug that you snip. I've used those a lot over the years on these trips. Okay. What else? That's my tire stuff. Then I've got the tow rope in there. My green chili one with a fantastic elastic part in yeah, the middle. It's nice. Which takes the snap out. Then what else do I have in there? I'm just trying to envision it all. Oh, I've got the torque set. Then I've got a tool roll with a variety of metric tools. Eight mil up to 22 mil. And then I have the adjustable wrench if I don't have, if the axle bolt I'm working on is bigger than a 22 millimeter. And screwdrivers, that's pretty well it. I've got a rag. I've got a pair of work gloves because nothing worse than doing a chain, a tire, the bike's filthy, you're filthy. Then you got to put your nice gloves back on yeah. or go into you know, a town with a restaurant to have a coffee or a meal and and your hands are covered in grease. So or even just to protect your hands. You know, yeah. Uh, what, while you're working on something. Yep. Okay. What else? Do you carry that's a flashlight pretty, at all? Yes. Thank okay. you. And I used it last night because we were putting a tire on a front wheel in the underground, which had lights on. But I think it was a 40-watt bulb. So <laughs> I couldn't even read my tire pressure gauge. So I've got a really bright but very small compact flashlight. Okay. Uh, I've got the your out-of-gas credit card, my siphon hose. Ah. I, I you, carry you always that. carry a siphon hose. Oh, okay. And now I is do. it the one with the, the little uh, thing that you it's shake? It's little... Get- yeah, it's got that little marble or something at the end. Right, so it's like and a little metal part in there with a the, with the marble in there. Right. I guess it gets it gets the uh, it saves you sucking in the hose and getting a mouthful. Exactly. Of water, right? I did too much of that when I was young, and it was leaded gas then, Jim. Oh yeah, that explains it you, for sure. You're not old enough to remember the you would access the fuel cap under the license plates. Do you remember those cars? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Do. My dad was very generous and come to think of it, I don't think I told him about it, but that's where how we would get gas. <laughs> I see for your bike, you mean? Yes. Oh, right. Yes. When I was very young. Right, right. I see what you're saying. So you carry, carry the siphon hose with you all the time. That's handy. Yeah. That is on handy. even day trips, just in case yep. I've run across people out in the bush out of gas. Right. So instead of tipping your bike over to try to put in a water ball, water bottle or unhooking a fuel line, 
Which is difficult on a new bike. It is. Where is it even? Exactly. Yeah. So I get my bike a little higher than their tank and it's easy to siphon in. Yeah, that makes sense. Anything else you can think of? That is it in my toolbox. It all fits in a helmet bag, but not the cloth helmet bag. This is a very substantial one. That's I use it as a carry-on bag on the plane, not with my tools in it. That's usually shipped with my bike. But it's a, I think it's a climb bag, but it's really sturdy, zippered, has pockets and side zippers. Oh, that's what's in the side zippers, Jim. I just remembered. I've got twist ties. I've got safety wire. Twist ties. You, you zip ties, you mean? Yeah, zip ties. Yeah. And, and a lot of safety wire for crash damage repairs or, you know, a rock strap. I've got two rock straps spare in case I have to bungee cord something onto a bike. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so safety wire. And when you say safety wire, this is your, your, uh, what, what is it? It's like 16 gauge wire or something like that. Solid wire. Yeah. There's all kinds of different gauges, but the stuff I use, it's the kind of wire that road racers would use to drill through their oil drain bolt or the rad cap. So you use a very fine wire. That's the, that's the wire you carry with you all the time. Um, I guess you'd think of it as snare wire that like that sort of stuff, but probably not the same. Exactly. Yeah. No. And you just have to be careful not to twist it too much because it it will break off and you have to do it again. Okay. Anything else you can think of that you're carrying with you on a a regular day trip? That's everything in there. Okay. All right. So you mentioned the bag. Now your tools and everything, are your tools and everything in that bag or how do you disperse this stuff on you and your bike? The tools are all in that bag, easily accessible. And it's pretty substantial, Jim. It weighs 38 pounds. Ooh, wow. So it sits on the seat behind me. So on some of my bikes, I have a seat for me and one for a passenger. I take the passenger seat off, which drops my 38 pounds of tools down onto the frame a couple of inches lower because I want the weight down low as close to the foot pegs as possible. Mm -hmm. So I don't put tools or heavy things in top cases, probably because I don't own any top cases. I don't, don't like riding with them. So that's where my tools are secure. And I put them so that I can use them as a backrest, that tool bag, if I need it, you know, on a long, long trip. So you do this for every day trip that you go out on. You take that bag, 38 pounds. Okay. Yes. And you you strap that on behind you. Yeah. Just in case, especially adventure riding, you know, on the side of the road, that probably means if it's paved in an urban environment, you've got cell phone, you can call a friend, you can call a tow company. But when I'm out in the middle of nowhere where I love to go, there may not be an opportunity for somebody to come and get you. So the more self-sufficient you are, that um, you can help others and yourself. Right. And some of this stuff, let's having said that some of this stuff here will, I'm not sure everyone would carry because I mean, if you, if you can't do anything with it, if you, if you're not mechanically inclined, because you obviously very are very mechanically inclined, you can fix anything. So you carry stuff with you to take care of sort of anything that happens. But the closest you can come to this, like the average listener can come to this, 
um, the better for them. You would you would probably recommend that most people should be able to fix a flat tire, correct? Yeah, but it, it is a very rare skill. I canvass people on these trips, not in a mean-spirited way, but I say, hey, has anybody ever seen a tire changed on the side of the road? If you're interested, I'm going to do one tonight in the underground parking garage. And quite a few people came down because they'd never seen it done. Oh. And... um. One buddy on this tour, I say buddy because he's been on three or four trips that I've been on, John. And he has, I think, more tools than I have and has gone to the effort to take a basic maintenance course for adventure riders. It's one that I created. So he now knows how to use the tools. But (laughs) the first trip to the Yukon, when someone you know, crash damage or something happened. He goes, hey, I think I got one of those tools that'll fix that. He didn't know how to use them, but he still carried them. And that's a point to make that maybe someone else could help you using your own tools or you can share tools. That's the beauty of riding in a group is there's a vast amount of experience and a plethora of different tools. That's a very good point. You could be sitting on the side of the road with a flat tire and and not be able to do anything with it. And somebody rides up on a different bike with the, they don't have tools for your bike, but since you do next thing, you know, you've got your, your repair done because, uh, because somebody had it. No, that's, that's great. Okay. Well, um, that's good. That's, that's great. Nice to know what, what you're carrying as well. I have a question for you because I know Shoot. you wear glasses. I wanted to talk yes. about, we, we had somebody actually sent an email in not too long ago. And this question's always stuck in my head because it's not something that's a full topic, but I thought I'm going to ask Clinton this. What do you do? How do you manage glasses while riding? Like there's all kinds of problems with fogging, with putting them on and off. What's your tips for wearing glasses? I think especially if you're new to the sport, you should appreciate that your glasses that you wear, getting them in and out of a full face helmet bends them so it's going to cost you more money but manufacturers make glasses that you can almost pretzel the frame and it's not going to snap off because most metal that's how you break little thin metals you bend it back and forth enough until it snaps right Mm -hmm. well you don't want that hockey player look with the black electrical tape holding your glasses (laughs) together that's very passe now. So my glasses that I definitely require for driving, it's on my license, a requirement. They're very, very expensive, but they're they're thin looking. I'll send you a picture of them. Well, I'll try to take a picture because if I don't have them on, it's going to be hard, Jen, but, <laughs> right. but we'll try. And they're very, very thin metal, but I can bend them in half and they don't break so the actual arm of the glasses and this is relevant to like listeners may be bored because they have 2020 vision i hate you but you have it (laughs) but maybe you wear sunglasses i have arms that are on a spring on my glasses so they'll twist and bend they're kind of like those fancy clutch and brake levers jim have you seen those you can twist them all around and they won't break. No, I don't think I've seen those, no. Oh, they're very cool. 
they're awesome for a guy like me that falls over a lot because you can't break the lever. Oh, they bend really? up out of the way. They're all on springs. Mm, and that's that's how my glasses are. So that's the ones I have on when, you know, I'm walking around. But then I have a separate pair, a second one that I use for actual riding. And they're a company called Switch. They're designed for adventure. And they have rubber parts that go next around your eye socket. So they're almost as good as wearing goggles. So in really dusty conditions, I don't get irritants or bugs in my eyes because there's a very tight around my eye socket fit from the inside design of these glasses. Mm. So they're my prescription. They're also, is the term photo ray? They get dark in the sun. Oh, yeah. And I walk, yeah, you walk indoors and they go bright again. They are crazy money. They're $500, Jim. Oh, wow. You know, I've bought many motorcycles less than these glasses are worth. But I rationalize it is if I can't uh, protect my eyes, my livelihood and enjoyment in life is going to be altered dramatically. Mm. And I like riding sometimes with my visor up. And if you do that with an expo exposed eyeball, sunglasses, reading, or your vision glasses do not protect you from dust and bugs. They'll get in behind it. So if you don't ride with goggles and a visor, then this system that I'll send pictures of called Switch works perfectly for me. I just love them. So it's but they're the, kind of goofy looking. So the the key is is the type of glasses. Then they're just extremely flexible, and they take the abuse yes. of being shoved in by down the side of the helmet. Okay, absolutely. And, and are you wearing a flip up helmet or just a regular uh, motor? I style, do have I do style? have a flip up at home, but I wear an Arai helmet normally. But I'm on a, a BMW event right now, so I have a BMW helmet oh, that I bought a couple oh, years ago because one wants to look the part. Yeah, you, know, you got to fit in. Yes. <laughs> so uh, both the Arai, they, they don't believe in flip-up construction and technology, but I do have one that is sometimes helpful for teaching because with a full-face helmet in front of your mouth, it's kind of marbled and you can't really enunciate yeah. clearly to the customer so the flip up is good okay so um, now what about fogging do you, how do you deal with that yeah um, both helmet visors and glasses you're susceptible to it so a good helmet will have good venting and if your visor starting to fog you can crack it open you know a finger width to let air in underneath because the fogging is generally like a car on the inside. Mm -hmm. uh, one of our instructors at home has a pair of goggles. I don't know how much they are. I never asked them, but they have little battery operated propellers things inside them, Jim. It's a defroster fan inside really? his goggles. And a lot of uh, snowmobilers will have a plug-in heated visor to defeat fogging up which is far more pre prevalent from your breath when it's cold out 
Right. And I guess the problem with that, it's harder to deal with because it freezes. Yes. Mm. And every time you get on and off the snowmobile, you've got to unhook your electric visor. Mm, So I haven't seen a motorcyclist use a heated visor. Listeners could correct me, but I've never seen anybody do that. But that concept would work if you're always in a northern climate. You know, it's almost winter, fall, spring conditions with very cold temperatures. You're more prevalent to fog up. What what about your glasses? Are you using any sort of coating on them or any sort of uh, chemical or anything you're putting on them to stop them from fogging? Years ago at a consumer show, I don't know if you've seen them. But there'll be a gentleman selling its pink wax in a small pill-sized plastic bottle. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to prevent fogging and it minimizes it. But uh, it leaves kind of a waxy coating on your glasses. So they're not fogged up, but you can't see through the wax. So the key then really is ventilation. And you're saying if you buy a good helmet, it's got good ventilation, it's going to deal with it. Absolutely. And goggles, if they fog up, will stop, take them off, swing them around. That airflow from you swinging them in a circle will defog them in seconds. Right. That's a good trick. Okay. Well, that's good stuff, Clinton. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you taking time out of your your, your tough job of riding the motorcycle around through the British Columbia mountains right now. Yeah. How lucky am I, Jim? If you hear me complain, please slap me because I'm so lucky. (laughs) Well, you enjoy the rest of your trip, Clinton. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk. All the best. Bye-bye now. Speaking with Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures while he was tucked away at the stunning Sun Peaks Resort in British Columbia in another one of his adventures. His website, if he works anymore, is smartadventures.ca. That link, of course, is in the show notes, as it always is for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Yeah, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. about wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin and of course you for being a part of it by listening to the show if you've got an idea something you'd like to hear a topic that you think we haven't covered or maybe we should cover again shoot us a line drop by the website adventureriderradio.com and fill out the contact form now we have another show called adventure rider radio raw comes out once a month that comes out on the 21st of each month which means that it's next week i think we have another one coming out 
that all is also at our website, adventureriderradio.com. Drop by there. And if you haven't done it already, we would love to get a five-star rating from you. Wherever you're finding your podcast, drop by iTunes or and, and give us a five-star rating. Of course, I'm going to ask for a five-star rating, but I mean, it's obviously up to you. I hope you do. Anyway, thank you very much. And uh, if you're not doing it already, we would really like it if you consider supporting the show. That's all on the website as well, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you a Adventure Rider Radio sticker. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out. We would love it if you would support through Patreon, which is a monthly thing. And you can put any amount there. It doesn't take much, but we could really use your support. Don't, like I say, I've said it before, but only a very, 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 very small percentage of people who hear the show every week choose to support it. Be one of the people who support it. Anyway, get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. I'm Steph Jevons, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Hey!